Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Everybody, welcome to Vintage Church. Uh, my name is Dylan. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at our Heights location. Uh, and it's just my honor and my privilege to be able to teach us today. So maybe you're watching this this morning and you're in person. Maybe you're watching this on your cell phone, uh, around a TV with family. Maybe you're even on your laptop in your bedroom, still snuggled up under your Snuggie. Whoever you are, we believe that God has a word for you today uh, and that we're going to grow closer to God and other people together. So this, we are ra- Wrapping up today the series that we've been in called Now That's What I Call Vintage, a series where we've been bringing back the hits from past messages and our teaching team has put together uh, some of the best messages of all time, kind of like those CDs and those cassettes called Now That's What I Call Music. And so the series has just been, hey, a compilation of our church's like greatest hits, if you will, from the last eight years since our founding as a church. And so today we're going to continue our message series with a message entitled A Spiritual Family. And we're going to learn from the story of Ruth in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And here's the, one of the big ideas for today, don't miss this, is that you can't understand God's plan and purpose for your life apart from relationships. And most of the New Testament is about how to love and how to serve one another. And you can't live or do life alone. And so your faith is personal, but our faith isn't private and it was never, ever meant to be. So what do I mean? As we grow closer to God, we grow closer to these divine relationships that he places us inside of. But curiously enough, God actually isn't even mentioned that much in the book of Ruth. Not because he isn't important, but because the way to get closer to him is often through each other just as much as it is him. So turn with me in your Bible, pull out your physical Bible. Uh, If you're a millennial like me, maybe pull out your Bible app and go to Ruth chapter 1. And I'm going to give you a little background about Ruth. She was the least likely candidate ever for inclusion in the purposes of God. She was a Moabite of all people. And if you know anything about the Moabites in the Bible, this should make you just a little bit uneasy when you know that you're about to read a story about her. And she was an outsider and a young, impoverished widow. And as background, to marry someone like this, to marry someone like Ruth, would have been a sign of disobedience and compromise in her day and culture because she was the ultimate outsider. But she risked everything on what she believed about God, about the same God that we believe in. So here's a summary of Ruth's story. There's been a famine in this country called Israel, and the people of Israel, to find food and hope in a new life, uh, there's a Jewish man, uh, an Israelite, who takes his wife 
and his two sons, and they leave Bethlehem, and they head down to Moab. Not Moab like where you take your Jeep Wrangler to in the summertime to crawl up rocks, but Moab like in the Middle East. And so they head to Moab, and the family ends up settling in Moab, and his sons marry two Moabite women. And then eventually, long story short, I'll spare you the details, go read it, it's a great story. The men die, leaving three widows. The man's widow, the, hu- the father, Naomi, now has hu- no husband, now has no sons, and has two daughters-in-law. Uh, one of them named Orpah, who, funny enough, is who Oprah was named after. Her legal name is Orpah, and, and her family didn't know how to pronounce it correctly, so they said Oprah, and, and it just kind of stuck and did that. And so Orpah and Ruth. And so both of these daughter, daughters-in-law loved Naomi and they wept and wept and wept, but she insisted, hey, go back. I want you to go back to your home country. Rejoin the, the people of the families that you uh, left to join my family. Go back to your fellow Moabites. And reluctantly, one of them does, but the other young woman, Ruth, refused to. And so Naomi is trying to do the right thing. She's trying to do the right thing by Ruth and Orpah. But uh, for Ruth, hey, this is the smart move. The safe move was to go back to her family, her culture, everything that she had ever been from to marry some Moabite and then stay in the only world that she has ever known. But she doesn't play it safe. Ruth clings to Naomi. And so the two women leave, and they return to Bethlehem. And instead of famine, they find that a new harvest has begun. Surprise. And so Ruth is out in a field one day looking for food. And then one day, she gets help from, again, surprise, one of Naomi's relatives. And the relative turns out to be a man of great character named Boaz, who is more generous with Naomi and Ruth than they could have ever imagined. And over time, Boaz and Ruth fall in love, and they get married, and they have a son named Obed. And Obed would grow up to have a boy named Jesse, who one day would have a strange kid himself who played the harp while he watched sheep and killed lions and bears and watched bears. And his name was David. Maybe you've heard of him. So you're like, okay, Pastor Dylan, I get it. Um, great story. I'm kind of still tracking with you, but I've heard that before. And unless I'm a widow too, or I just like ancient near uh, Eastern romantic comedies, then what am I supposed to do with everything that you just said? Don't miss this because Ruth has something to say to us. Her life is shouting to our culture of brokenness and isolation because now we're virtually connected more than ever, but emotionally and relationally, we are more distant than ever before. And you can have great physical health and more money than you could spend, but if your relationships aren't right, you can have a miserable life. Why? Because we have a really hard time connecting, uh, growing spiritually until we connect relationally. And so what does Ruth tell us about spiritual family and what it means to connect with people relationally? Number one, she says, we learn from her, you are better off finding God's family than food. 
Ruth 1.1 says, In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. Naomi's husband took his family to Moab to find food, but what Naomi got was something so much better than food. She got the relationship that changed her life forever, Ruth. A connection was, was made. And through that connection, Ruth, a Moabite who had never known God, our God, found God and his family. As a pastor, I see people all the time who are desperately hungry for something more in life. Maybe you're watching this today from the comfort of your bedroom or on your phone or online or through our podcast or however you're watching it, and you are desperately hungry for something more in life. Maybe career accomplishments or a new uh, hobby or a new cause or a bigger, better life or a house that's bigger or a child prodigy that you've always wanted that you can brag is better than all the other children, right? We set our heart on things that we need to be happy. If we can just achieve that insert thing here into the future, maybe then we'd be happy enough. But past, present, or future, we're only in the present. That's where God moves in your life. And how? He distributes his blessing, not primarily through food and through finances, but through spiritual family. Hundreds of people right now have been coming to Venice Church for a lot of things, and people feel welcomed and loved, and they're from all different backgrounds with all different kinds of experiences, but what is it that they really need? What is the common denominator that unites all of them together that they are longing and craving for? Connection to God's family, and why because in God's family, spirit is thicker than blood. There's a phrase uh, that I love that says, um, blood is, is thicker than water. And most people misquote the phrase, blood is thicker than water, to mean that the relationships that we have with our DNA blood family members should be stronger than the relationships that we have with anybody else. But the whole phrase is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Nothing beats spiritual family. There's no fam like spiritual fam. So Ruth 1, 16 through 18 says, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you. She's talking to Naomi. Don't ask me to leave you, Naomi, and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. The Bible says Ruth clung to her. This is the moment in Ruth's story. Everything in her life changes as a result of this choice. And so Ruth gets a revelation that is bigger than culture, bigger than religion, bigger than social mobility or how much she can raise herself up in life or how many boats or kids or 
picket fences that are white she can have or 2.5 golden retriever dogs. Bigger than all of it, she gets a revelation of God's spiritual family. And here's the cool thing. Naomi didn't force any of it on her at all, ever. She's chasing something that she can't even really describe at this point. We don't even have any reason to believe that Ruth knew anything at all about the history of God's people and Abraham and Moses and the Passover and the Exodus and the coming Messiah or anything else. But she was ready to give up everything for a God that she barely knew or understood at all. We see this in scripture, in Ruth's story, and so many other stories like Jesus and the disciples and Paul and Timothy and Lot and Abraham and Acts 2 and the early church. And all through scripture, people who are still just barely learning about who and how God is, something about him and his character makes them want to cling on for dear life and find out more about this God who seems to have created and be in and a part of everything. And so when we want to give up, God says, get connected. Nobody quits in a group. We only quit when we are alone. When you find your people, you find your purpose. And many times you've been praying for help. God, help me. God, I don't know what to do next in life. God, I need fulfillment in life. God, I feel like there is a hole inside of me that can't be filled. I feel like I cannot find fulfillment in the things that I thought. I thought marriage would make me happy. So we got married and then marriage didn't make me happy. So I said, you know what would be great? Let's add a baby into the situation. And then the baby didn't make us happy. It only complicated things even more as all the married people who are listening to this and in the room no. And you, and you just feel like, I need help. I need something more. Many times God's answer to your prayer is a person. God is a God of the natural and the supernatural. And yes, he could snap his finger just as, and cure all your problems just as easily as he could breathe the whole universe into existence. But sometimes God's answer to your prayer is a person. And why does God do it this way? Because people grow together. And as this growth continues, we see that the third point, spiritual family makes an eternal impact. As we close, turn with me over to the very beginning of the New Testament. And I love this series we've been in where we've been getting to look at different stories and different people from different backgrounds, from all different walks of life. But there's this one story in the New Testament that I just think takes the cake and puts it all together, y'all. And by the way, remember, a Bible um, is not a book. It's a library of books, but it's not just a library that's a collection of a few stories. It's one big giant story that all points back to Jesus and Jesus's family. And so look at Matthew 1.5. Here's what it says. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And it goes on and on and on. And hold up. We have a purpose. Just wait. Listen, you're going to get it. You're going to love it. Most people skip over genealogies in the Bible, especially the book of Matthew. They get to the part where this Jesus guy is doing miracles and healing people. And uh, you almost never hear of genealogies mentioned in a message, but this is huge. This genealogy, in other words, this family tree is the family tree of Jesus. This list isn't even exhaustive. It didn't include every generation. Matthew is picking selected names to emphasize what God it was doing, and he picks Ruth to stick in there. Why did God pick a Moabite woman 
who was part of a people who were enemies of God to put in the lineage of the people who would bring Jesus into the world himself because she understood something about God and about spiritual family. Her great-grandson, Ruth's great-grandson, King David, the King David, wrote uh, in a psalm, Psalm 68.6. And before I tell you what he wrote, you can see it on the screen. We'll read it in a sec. But as God continues to move in King David's life, King David's life, he realizes when God's people embrace his plans, it impacts everyone, not just us. God has always been a God that has been out to love and serve and impact and change the entire world, not just you and your world, not just me and my world, but all people. God is a God that has always desired to bless all nations from his hand throughout the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. So all nations, the whole earth, there's no group of people, no ethnicity, no demographic, no socioeconomic background of people that God doesn't care about. It is a celebration song that he's writing. And this is what he said. You probably already read it. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Read it one more time. Maybe, maybe just mouth it if you're watching this at home, if you're on your phone. God places the lonely in, say it with me, families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. You can be lonely surrounded by a crowd of people. Maybe you got people that you do life with all the time, you feel like, but you just don't have any close relationships. It's not the same thing as spiritual family. What God is saying is you've been created for family, for real, genuine, significant, life-changing, life-defining relationships. We are hardwired for them. And when we don't have them, we get lonely. This isn't just an Old Testament concept. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. There is no word in your Bible for coincidence and God wants you, if you're listening to this message, to become a part of spiritual family yourself. God wants you to join a local church and become a part of a genuine spiritual family. And why? Because spiritual family can meet felt needs in your life that no one else in the world can meet. And by the way, don't miss this. You have a God-sized hole in your heart that only he can fill. Sin won't fill it, nothing else can. But apparently, according to God, you also have a human-shaped hole in your heart that even he himself will not fill. He could, but he won't. In Genesis, he said it is not good for the man to be alone. We were created to live life in spiritual family and relationships no other way. How many of you want to grow? You can do that safely in family, free from the fear of judgment or condemnation. How many of you want to always have somebody there to walk with you through all the pain that you're going to go through in life so you don't have to have any more nights alone in your bedroom crying yourself to sleep? One more time. You're never going to be an empty. How many of you are older and you feel like an empty nester and you made your whole entire life, life's purpose around your kids and raising them and taking them to t-ball games and now they've grown older and they're at college and you're alone in an empty nester and you don't know what to do with your life anymore. You'll never be an empty nester in spiritual family. In spiritual family, your life becomes bigger than you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, we're going to read together right now. It's in the book of Acts. And it's Acts chapter 2. 
I'm saying it slow so you can turn to it in your real physical Bible and highlight it and never forget it. Verses 42 through 47. And as we read this together, don't, don't miss it. I'm not going to tell a clever story about it. I'm just going to read it. But picture in your head, let's use some imaginative um, reading here and picture what this would have been like and what it would have felt like and what it would feel like in your life to have people around you who are doing life with you this way. Let's read it together. All, not some, not a few, not one or two, not just the people who weren't in cliques, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It's this rich, rich word that implies like not just community, not just hanging out at Applebee's with your friends and their family and their kids the one day a week that you have 30 minutes to get lunch, but like genuine interconnectedness and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all, again, that word all, right? All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and, they, and their possessions, and they shared the money that they, had, that they made from selling their things with people in their community who had need among them. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself to be an apprentice of Jesus, that is, disciple, this thing that we are doing is bigger than just our natural family. It is a spiritual family too, and there's no greater investment that you can make in the kingdom than joining and being a part of a spiritual family. There's no greater investment that you can make in your life than getting connected. What would your life feel like? What would, imagine all the times that you wish that you had other people you can call who were devoted to practicing the way of Jesus in his way, who would be there for you to listen to you when you're going through things and not judge you or cast condemnation on you, but just listen to what you've been through and help you take your next step so you don't have to go through it again. Imagine what it would feel like to have people in your life who didn't even feel awkward around for you to lay hands on each other and pray for each other that good things will happen in your life instead of looking at each other through jealousy and the lens of hoping that bad things happen or at least worse things happen to them than happen in your life. Imagine if you were surrounded by a family of people who genuinely wanted the best for you and a better life for you, a life of pursuing Jesus in his way because his way is better than our way. And look, I get it. Relationships are challenging, whether it's in natural family or spiritual family, but it's the way that God made us to live. And the reason that you feel that hole inside right now, the reason that you don't feel completely fulfilled, even if you're at home and you put in your AirPods and you listen to that Maverick City track, I know it's great. It feels good. You get, you get goosebumps bumps on your arm and you listen to the right worship song. But listen, the reason that you still don't feel whole and you still feel lonely 
is because it's not how God designed you to live, just worshiping alone with him and your relationship with him. That's an element of our relationship with him, but everything about God is not just private. It is public. It is corporate. It is a part of the family, and we worship him together, and people bring us closer to God because God uses us to grow other people and other people to grow us, and they bring us closer to God's heart, and they help us clarify what really matters and help us discern whether we're doing the right things or the wrong things because the easiest person in the world of fool is the one looking back at you in the mirror and without family around us, spiritual family, to help us run our ideas through them, we'll convince ourselves that some things we're doing that are bad for us are right. When a group of people come together with one heart and one mind and one purpose and we prefer one another above ourselves in this environment of spiritual family, God always makes an eternal impact. And finding God's family actually is better than food. And in the middle of a famine, you would rather find spiritual family than food to fill your belly. In the middle of a famine is how bad it is. In God's family, spirit really is thicker than blood. And in God's family, we make an eternal impact and an eternal difference by helping each other because you really can't, you cannot grow spiritually until you connect relationally. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love what you are doing in our church and in our lives. I want to pray over every single uh, person made in your image this morning uh, who is listening to the words of my voice and praying right along with me, Father, that you would help place them in a spiritual family. You promise us that you will set the prisoner free. And I pray that you would help them to fill the void and the hole in their heart and their life uh, that is, exists because they're not a part of a community and a fellowship and a spiritual family, Father. Help them get plugged in somewhere, life-giving with people who will help them pursue the way of Jesus together, Lord. And if anyone listening to this message and this prayer, praying right alongside me, is close enough that they can become a part of our spiritual family here at Vintage Church, Lord, may they be compelled by you to do so, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when we're introverted, even when we're shy, even when we've been burned by other people in other churches, in other places at other times, God. May we remember that you did not create us to do life alone with just you, with our AirPods in, sitting on our back porch. You created us to exist and live in a family, and that's how we find healing, God. We know that you give us forgiveness, but confessing our sins to family is how we find healing, Lord. Help us do that this week. Help us to make choices that lead us closer to living life in spiritual family with others. Uh, and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.